Welcome to the INS Infusion Room, a podcast of the Infusion Nurses Society. The Infusion Nurses Society is recognized as the global authority in infusion therapy and is devoted to setting the standard for infusion care. I'm Dawn Berendt, your podcast host and the Clinical Education and Publications Manager for INS. Hello, I'm so happy you've joined us today for this episode of INS Infusion Room. I have three special guests today, Elizabeth Morell, Miravik Guzman, and Patty Ryan. I'm going to ask each of you to tell about your background and your current practice. Elizabeth, let's start with you. Yes, so I'm the Senior Director of Patient Care at Scripps Mercy Hospital, and I oversee the venous access team. I have cardiac services, um, the advanced practice nurses, and a couple cardiac nurse practitioners, and cardiac rehab, a couple other areas as well. So I have it at two campuses um, within Scripps. Um, I also oversee the COVID-19 operations chief for the daily for this particular one campus, um, and that oversight is a daily update of what we do from a, um, what needs to happen today and how can you make that happen today? So thank you, Elizabeth, so much for being here. And we are going to come back and we're going to visit about that COVID-19 piece, uh, in just a moment. So Miravik, let's have you please tell a bit about your background and your current practice. Hi there. I'm happy to join your podcast today. Um, I've got over 15 years of nursing experience. I work for Liz Morell at Scripps Mercy on the vascular access team. Um, I've had most of my career in CVICU and made the transition in 2014 when we were um, transitioning from the IV team to the vascular access team. And we all, are, all learn how to do bedside pick placement all at the same time. And uh, I help see that that um, transition through. And I love my job. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Thank you, Miravik, so much for being here. And Patty, let's have you tell us all about yourself. Yes. um, I've been a nurse for 43 years and I um, have been at Scripps for 19 years. Through my Navy or through my career, I've been a Navy nurse, a CNS, a bedside nurse, uh, multiple different eclectic experiences. I've been on the vascular access team for the last 16 years and really enjoy working with everybody. Thank you so much. So we have some really good discussion that we're going to talk about today. Elizabeth, let's have you start us out by giving us an overview. I know that you mentioned you're the COVID-19 operations chief for the San Diego campus in Hillcrest. So tell us a little bit about that. So the particular role is that you basically, if things are brought up to uh, as an issue around COVID, for example, there's a lot of different things. I do the schedule for the call, for the COVID call for the command center. I do the, um, we need the front office, the front 
desk schedulers, desk um, layout. So when people come in, are we, or do we have the appropriate signage? Do we have the appropriate steps within six feet? Uh, we I'll do the update of no mass, no entry logs, um, order, order tables for single table eating established for social distancing when you're eating, you know, for di- alternative dining sections. There's a lot of different things that I do. Um, so every day it's different and, um, it's, it's challenging, but it's also, uh, we know that I make, I'm making a difference for our staff. Yes. So well, I might say you've got a nice workload there, <laughs> Elizabeth. You 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 manage a number of departments, and then you also oversee this. And I know that that's busy. Thank you so much for all that you do for your employees and for your patients. Well, thank you. I I don't do it alone. I have an incident command person. There's all these different people that make it happen. So the directors and the senior leaders, as well as corporate and everyone down to, you know, even the managers, supervisors, everybody does whatever they can to make it, make it work best for their area and that we're, we're addressing the needs of the staff that are taking care of our patients. Excellent. Now, Patty and Maravik, you are both vascular access team nurses. And I'm going to ask you to tell about some of the challenges of working as a vascular access nurse during the COVID-19 pandemic. I think uh, one of the things that we have talked about a lot uh, between in our team and with Liz is the time management piece. And um, just that it takes longer to do anything when you have, when you go to see a COVID mm-hmm. patient, it takes probably mm-hmm. 30 minutes longer to do any procedure from I- peripheral IV to a uh, pick insertion just because of having to don and doff our PPE and to, um, to we have a specific uh, ultrasound machine that we use just for COVID patients so that it's um, we have to go up to our office, change out our machines and put a special covering over that. And I think that one of the biggest challenges with that, at least for me, is uh, trying to take care of the COVID patients as well as all of our other patients that are not COVID and to avoid rushing and cutting corners in the whole PPE and changing the machine. And and when you've got people waiting for you, it's it's, um, something that you have to be mindful of all the time. Certainly. Now, vascular access teams are traditionally so very busy. And I know that you are scurrying from room to room. and, And now you have this situation where you, where you purposefully have to slow down and be very mindful about what you're, what you're doing. And, and the addition of the PPE, uh, certainly it does take more time, but it is time well spent, isn't it? Oh yes. I just have to keep it, you know, in the forward of your mind all the time. Okay, Miravik, let's hear from you. Um, we're still talking about maybe some of the challenges or the differences now that you're working in an environment that's also caring for COVID-19 patients. So I think the hardest part about being a vascular access nurse, knowing that we go from room to room, is keeping up with the, the changing requirements for PPE. You know, there was such a big scare that, you know, we should wear N95s for every single patient. And I know 
at least at our hospital, based on their oxygen requirements, um, that would determine whether or not we wear a simple face mask or an N95. And, you know, in any case, you know, we've developed kind of like a buddy system, like a checkoff system to make sure that, you know, we've got the proper mask on and we've got our face shield on properly. Um, you know, we also clean the equipment before we leave the room. We clean it again when we when we cross the threshold of the patient room. So there's a lot of cleaning that goes on. Um, mm-hmm. And like Patty talked about, you know, we have to take that into account because whether or not we're just, if we're just doing an IV, if they have good veins, even if it only takes five minutes to do an IV, we're in there for at least 30 to 45 minutes just to place an IV. Sure, sure. And you can't say just an IV. Yeah, I think one of the things that has helped with that, um, that particularly, I don't know if a lot of hospitals have this, but each of the units that have COVID patients, uh, at first, when we first got them, they were spread out throughout the hospital in the uh, different isolation rooms. And now they are cohorted primarily on two different floors, one ICU and one general patient floor. And by doing that, they've developed their, they have what they call PPE experts. So that's their job that day to help people mm-hmm. come onto the floor that are just are there intermittently to make sure that we can go over, okay, here's what I have to do for this patient. And here's what I have to put on and just to review it all before you go in the room. So that, oh, um, yeah, it yeah. really, really has made a big difference. Very helpful. So I liked what I, idea what that was. <laughs> I liked what I heard, um, Miravik, when you said that you have a buddy system. Can you tell a little bit more about the use of a buddy system? What what's What's happening there? Well, before we enter the room, we kind of make sure that, you know, like I said earlier, that we're all dressed in our appropriate ball gowns and our <laughs> special mask um, that we get the facial on right. Um, if whenever possible, we try to conserve PPE by sending one, one person in. Um, but we always have the other person on standby um, with their stuff on just to make sure if they need a partner to come in and get a line placement. Yeah. Our, our vascular access team tends to work in, in pairs. So we always have a partner or a buddy. And mm-hmm. so once we're ready to go in, it's like, okay, am I, do I have everything on? Check me out. And, uh, and then coming back out, doing the reverse. Yeah. There's so much to be said for working in pairs like that. Sometimes it seems like um, you might get less work done if you're, you know, working in tandem, but other times it's just goes so much faster, especially with pick placement, just having that extra set of hands in there. is so good. Oh Yeah. So tell us how it's going with vascular access device selection. Is that challenging right now? We use the basic same decision tree that we always have. I think that placing a line, um, particularly like a pick line in um, a COVID patient adds a level of uh, complication to it sometimes because it Mm -hmm. really, what we found I think anyways, is that it depends on where in the treatment and the course of the disease they are as far as what type of line they need. So at the very beginning, if they're really sick and they're on multiple, their, their blood pressure is, is being affected and multiple systems mm-hmm. are being affected and they need multiple drips, then 
a pick line is what they need. Uh, if it's been further on and the only thing they're doing is taking their antivirals um, IV, then they may just need a midline or a mm. peripheral. Um, sometimes mm-hmm. they get to the point where all they need is a peripheral because they're just kind of reco- they're still having positive test results, but they are not um, actively having many symptoms at that point. Sure, sure. I think too one of the things that we've identified is initially we thought it was or we know that it's a respiratory disease, but now this vascular um, coagulation problems have come up, and so proper selection of of what type of device to use and where and can we get a line in and not so those are other things that were i identified that we didn't know early on that this is going to be such a problem mm-hmm. i am hearing that that there is this hypercoagulable state and that that there is a real problem in that area that we hadn't anticipated um and and some very very sick patients, of course. Yeah, I think we've seen a little bit of um, issues with that as well, with getting uh, fibrin formation and DVTs surrounding uh, the um, picks and midlines that stay in for a okay. period of time. And okay. um, and one of the things that has kind of been interesting, we've been noticing of uh, with the pick lines is that. When the patient, even if they're intubated, but if they're still having the explosive coughing, that yes. we've had a couple of patients that have coughed so hard that they've flipped their pick line up so that it's going <laughs> up their neck. And you're like, oh, man. So just being able to add that into our problem mm-hmm. solving with um, when they say, well, you know, it's drawing a little bit, but we're not really getting blood. And our normal thing is, have you tried to? Alta place, sure. and now with it's a COVID patient, we have to think. Well, maybe we should get an X-ray first before you sure. we do anything else because sure. uh, it sure. could be the uh, malpositioned at this point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think that you might be seeing a, a little higher rate of occlusion? Um, probably. I, you know, it's hard to tell because there's so many factors that go into mm-hmm. occlusion rates that mm-hmm. I can't really say that I would attribute it to COVID. Sure. Um, it's just a matter of as far as the DVT part, we, I think we are, but as far as occlusion of lines per se, I think it has, well, as I said, you know, with the picks, we found a, a whole new ball game with that. Okay. Okay. Do we have any other challenges that we want to talk about? Well, I think one thing too, and Maribic had touched on it was, um, that we try to just send one person in to the room just mm-hmm. to, to limit, um, exposure of the team. And so what we've had to do is kind of develop a sign language for what type of line we want, which vein we're putting it in, if we drop something and we need something, you know, so we're kind of developing a little bit of sign language for that so that we can (laughs) see each other and decide what's needed without having to open the door as many times. I see. I see. Good. You know, so this has changed things quite a bit. And, you know, as vascular access nurses, you travel most of the hospital, most of the organization. You see patients in most of your settings. And um, I would imagine, listening to you, it sounds like you're taking this all in stride, that this is just one more population of patients that you care for and, and figure out what needs to be done and do it. Am I right? I think so at this point. Yeah. 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 It was a little scary at first, but. 
Oh, yes. Well, they're a great team and you, they all work so well together and they they help each other and they communicate clearly. They're always letting me know if there's anything that's going on, what what we need to do to change. And so mm-hmm. I appreciate it. But they're 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 a, they're a great team and we're blessed to have them. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. Let's talk about the morale of the healthcare professionals that you work with. What do you see in your organization? I think in general, you know, no one I don't think anyone signed up to be part of this pandemic taking care of patients that, you know, were getting this this virus that no one knew how to take care of. Um, but I think in general, as a whole, our system kind of responded very well to it. They were very proactive in purchasing ex- extra supplies and um, hiring staff from elsewhere to make sure that we were adequately staffed and and then the units that got converted to COVID floors, you know, I mean, the staff didn't really have a say in it, but they all, I feel like they're all taking it in stride. Um, you know, it's very scary for anyone, I think, in this profession to be put in a spot where you have to, you know, basically, um, literally put on a gown and face your fears um, to help other people. And it's it's kind of inspiring to see, you know, our nurses that just go in every day to work and they know they're going to go take care of some COVID patients and they still show up for work with a smile. So I'm very proud of our organization. I think they've done really well um, and they've been very upfront with our, our staff with daily updates and, you know, the, the amount of patients that have COVID and the amount of patients that are leaving with COVID and they play this cheesy sunshine song whenever <laughs> a patient gets discharged. But every time you hear it, you know, mm. you, you think to yourself, you know, that's great. That's another patient that's getting it discharged. It is. It is. Yeah. yeah. I would have to say that I think the, the clinicians do support each other um, as well as, as management and leadership. If you have a question and you don't know from the site command center, you just let send an email or call the corporate one, they'll get on it and just say, or oh, this, this sounds confusing. And we work so closely with, um, with, with those groups just to make sure that we can get a question and the answer back to the staff uh, as quickly as mm-hmm. possible. And we, mm-hmm. we continue to refine our processes, which is a good thing. But I must say that the, this, the collegiality is, has just, We've we've meshed and become stronger because of of what we're dealing with and supportive of each other. So mm-hmm. it's pretty amazing. And then we have, you know, we've put in so many new things. We put in the iPads, the Zooms for the patients, for the rooms if we need to talk, the the baby monitors in each area is on those floors mm-hmm. for the ICUs. We've put in, you know, a lot of different things. We have a website that's updated daily. We get daily updates. Um, on what's going on at the system, as well as what is our volume count, how many patients do we have. We know exactly where the next patient is going to go and which facility. And there's a lot of really good support um, on the website, the coronavirus page website for 
uh, caring for yourself, how to take care of yourself. What do you need to do? We've got the employee assistance programs. We can do meditation. So there's so many things that you can just go online to look and help read about and learn when there's issues going on to uh, support us and each other. If someone's saying, I'm, I'm having a tough day, we, we're there to say, what can we do to help you? Mm-hmm. Or can I take mm-hmm. you, I, get, I'll, I can take something off your, you know, your, your plate right now. That sounds excellent. Excellent. Patty? Yeah, I think, too, that we are also um, not only is I do we support each other within the hospital walls, but I think that we also feel very connected to our community. And a lot of that has to do with um, the communication that our CEO puts out. And he not only talks about the challenges that we have within the hospital, but also with our surrounding communities being in the middle of a border area and some areas that have been very hard hit and where patients go and what we're doing to help support them and also to keep our own um, community safe and available for them. So he's been he's been right out there. And uh, I guess to me, this is like the biggest challenge for nursing, but it's probably the biggest reason that I went into nursing to begin with. And that's I don't think that it's a matter of, I think we all did sign up for this when we became nurses and this is Mm -hmm. exactly why we're here and what we're supposed to be doing. So. So Patty, if you have 40 years under your belt as a nurse, you remember a few other things that came along that, that frightened us as well. Oh yes. And it's, it's funny. I've thought about it as, as kind of a cycle. And I mean, I was there when we, when nobody knew what HIV was. When nobody right. knew what, I mean, hep C used to be called non-A, non-B. And right, uh, right. because nobody knew what it was. And um, even MRSA, you know, and that mm-hmm. was all very scary to begin with. And that we go through this cycle of first there's the fear and the, oh my God, what are we going to do response? And then we go through and we start to figuring out what we have to do right now. And then there's research and we learn a little bit more. So we learn how to treat the symptoms a little bit. And then there's like, okay, now what more can we do? And then there's more research and we get the symptoms under control. And then there's either, you know, then there becomes therapies for remission or cure at that point. So, um, but I think that they all started with that initial, oh my God, what are we going to do? Right. You know, response. We have heard reports uh, from nurses from all over. And one was, one story that was written to us was particularly poignant. She she described, you know, getting ready and going for to work and crying in the car on the way there and then getting there. And after a short time, all of a sudden, their work with other disciplines within the organization was heightened. And they they find all of this opportunity to really work together to solve something. And there is a very good feeling. And um, at the end of her story, she said, I no longer fear this. I, we are thriving, you know, as a, not only as an organization, not only as nurses, but one of the healthcare team that is really doing the best that we can for our patients and for our colleagues. Mm-hmm. And it was, it's a, there are very heartwarming stories out there. And it sounds like you are living in the midst of a, a really good place, a good opportunity to learn and grow during a very challenging situation. We are getting close to the time where we are going to need to stop our recording here today. 
So I'm going to give each of you the opportunity, if you have anything yet to tell us about something you have learned um, working in healthcare during a pandemic. Well, I think that we've kind of touched on it a little bit, but for me, I think one of the biggest things is um, learning that we are stronger together than separately. And that, as you had just been talking about, that all of the, you know, everybody has their place and the excitement that comes with figuring out a new way of doing something to help the patient, but also to keep ourselves safe, whether it's uh, the barriers that Liz was talking about, new treatments when they come out. I think it has energized people into looking at research more Mm -hmm. and, um, keeping abreast of, of the what's going on right this second as far as research and treatments. Um, it's it's a frightening time a little bit, but it's also a very exciting time in medicine for me anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I never get tired of it, this kind of thing. I would have to say the clear communication and the ability to make it happen immediately and to respond so quickly and positively. We'll, we'll get it for you. We'll do what we need. Let's see what we can do. And always putting the patient first at all. We always did, but this is just a little, it, it's not just uh, nursing. It's, it's everybody. It's, mm-hmm. it's all the different disciplines. It's the physicians. It's just collaborating um, in a much stronger um um, connection than what we had, uh, in the past. So I, I, I like it. I think it's, it's, it's hard work, but I, I enjoy it. And I feel like people listen to each other a little bit. They're a little bit kinder, uh, and, and the patients, you just have to be patient with everybody, but, but it just is happening. Even with our telemedicine and our connections, you know, instead of driving somewhere, you get on the, you just get on the call and the, and you're able to get on the zoom or the Skype or the Microsoft teams and to be able to, to do your work and be much more productive so much quicker. And, and, you know, I, I get a lot more work done now because I'm not going somewhere to meetings because I'm able to just jump on and, and hear and mm-hmm. provide my input. So I would say that that's, that's a big difference. And we'll probably be looking at that in a different way than what we've ever had. There are so many things that we're learning from this mm-hmm. virtualness that we um, have become accustomed to. Absolutely. It's going to change the way we work. Mm-hmm. Mirafik, how about you? Anything left to share? Well, I mean, I, I echo the same uh, sentiments as far as, you know, collaborating with team members more efficiently. Um, and I think in that collaboration, you know, we find um, comfort and solace with each other because, you know, we stand united against this, this virus, you know, um, we put up a united front and um, like as vascular access, um, as a vascular access team member I feel more like you know more of a problem solver you know because these patients need their access so we're always trying to figure out what's the best thing for the patient um, in the long run considering everything all the therapy that they're having so those are all things that we take into consideration Uh, I also try to put myself in the patient's shoes you know we don't really allow very many visitors at all anymore um, and people are coming in with these strange outfits and masks and goggles and mm. uh, and gowns and such. And 
um, getting poked several times. So I really, when I go in there to go see a patient or any patient for that matter, you know, I really take it upon myself to be a problem solver because, you know, they can't get better without vascular access, um, Mm -hmm. you know, because they need their treatment and therapy. But I really do echo what Patty and um, Liz said that, you know, we are very much um, stronger united um, when we're collaborating with each other. This has been such a wonderful discussion today. And Elizabeth, thank you so much. Thank you for thinking of bringing your vascular access nurses here. Patty, thank you for your history, for all that you bring to the table. And Miravik, thank you for your enthusiasm and for the work that you do. Um, Thank you for taking care of these patients. And thank you for sharing with your nurse colleagues out here in the world um, how it's going and what you've learned. Thank you. We've enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. We enjoyed it. It's great. And this concludes this edition of INS Infusion Room. Thank you for listening. This concludes this episode of INS Infusion Room, a podcast of the Infusion Nurses Society. We welcome your comments. You can reach us at infusionroom at ins1.org. That's infusionroom at ins1.org. Thank you for listening.